In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation and with you, your host, Father Ed Broom, OMB. Great to be with all of you. And as always, we love to start off our conversation by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary has many wonderful, wonderful titles. Mary is the Mother of God. Mary is the mother of the church. Mary is the mother of each and every one of us. And also when we pray that beautiful prayer, the Hail Holy Queen, we like to invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. That's right. Mary is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's uh, turn to Mary and pray the prayer that she loves most, the Hail Mary or the angelic salutation. And ask Mary to be with us with her loving maternal presence today as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now we'd like to invite to be with us our spiritual director. And what a privilege it is to have as our spiritual director the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has many wonderful titles. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Holy Spirit is known as the gift of gifts. Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of our souls. Holy Spirit was also known as our consoler, as well as our counselor. Holy Spirit is also our sanctifier. Holy Spirit is also known as our interior master. St. Paul reminds us with these words from his letter to the Romans. That we don't really know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's turn to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to... Um, Enlighten our minds and set our hearts on love for God as we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. 
O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Well, Lady Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, pray for us. St. Francis Xavier, pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Our guardian angels, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as always, to give you encouragement when I celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass today, I'll place you on the altar and pray for many intentions. For your intentions and for your families, I'll pray for that, of course. So I'd like to offering the greatest of all prayers, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. First of all, that all of us would be open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Our sanctification depends upon our docility to the Holy Spirit. Perhaps this could be our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Through the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Through the heart of Mary. My second intention, I'd like to pray in a special way for our families. For the conversion of our family members. For the sanctification of our family members. And for the salvation of our family members. That's right, for the conversion 
the sanctification and salvation of our family members. Jesus says very clearly, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and he loses his soul? The salvation of our immortal soul is worth more than anything else. Then my next intention will be as is my custom, I'd like to pray for those who will be dying sometime within the next 24 hours. That they would be saved. That they would open up their hearts to God's mercy. That they will receive that last grace, the grace of all graces, the grace of final perseverance, to die, to die in the state of grace. By dying in the state of grace, salvation will be ours. Let's pray for ourselves. Pray for ourselves that we would be given this great grace. That we would be given the grace to die in the state of grace, and that means that we will one day be with the Lord. Nothing more important than to go to heaven. So my friends, those intentions I'd like to place on the altar. So, just a recap of of yesterday and September 29th. We should never forget that we're not alone. That we have our guardian angels. We have the heavenly hosts to help us. We have Saint Michael the Archangel. We have the Archangel Gabriel. We have the Archangel Raphael. We have our guardian angel. St. Michael can help us to defend us in the battle against the evil spirits that surround us. The Archangel Gabriel can help us to communicate the truth in love. The Archangel Raphael can be our traveling companion toward our eternal destiny. He can help us in moments of desolation and recognize that he's our friend, present to us. As well as our guardian angels. Let's pray more to the angels. Let's pray more to the guardian angels. And not simply dismiss the prayer to our guardian angels as something infantile. But 
the beginning of our day, the end of our day, and during the course of our day, to pray. Dear angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. And when we go to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, remember the movie, The the Great Miracle, Il Gran Milagro. Let's ask our guardian angel, help us to to help us to pay more attention for the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Participate fully, actively, consciously in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Let's ask our guardian angel to help us. As many of us have saved from fatal car accidents, perhaps through the intercession of the guardian angels. Let's beg our guardian angels to help and guide us morally and spiritually. From a moral or spiritual collision that could be, would be much more serious. So that's a recap of our belief and presence of the holy angels. So I'd like to take with you, my friends, the gospel for today, which is Luke chapter 9. And give you a summary of it. An interpretation and an application. It's this. We are... We are walking with the Lord and the disciples. We are the modern disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're with him. Jesus in the Gospel of St. Luke is heading toward the city of Jerusalem where he will eventually die on the cross for us. So he's heading with his face set toward Jerusalem. He has a determined determination to end up in Jerusalem where he will be crucified, die, be buried, and raised from the dead. That's called the Paschal Mystery. But as he's heading there, They have to enter a a village where you have Samaritans. But the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not get along well together. They are basically enemies. So these Samaritans 
would not accept Jesus and his disciples. In a word, they were rejected. They were rejected. Jesus says nothing about this. But his disciples, especially John and James. John and James, Jesus, they were brothers. Jesus gave John and James a nickname. Boanerges. Maybe you've heard that word. Boanerges. Boanerges was the nickname that Jesus gave to St. James and John. And Boanerges actually means sons of thunder. Most likely because they had a very fiery temperament. So they approach the Lord and say, Lord, would you have us call down fire from heaven to destroy to destroy the Samaritans. Would you have us call fire down from heaven, like Sodom and Gomorrah, to destroy those people because they rejected you? And the Gospel says Jesus simply rebuked them. Then they journey on to another village. A commentary that I was listening to this morning, I'd like to comment upon that. And it shows how St. John the Evangelist would, would overcome his major defect. He sought out revenge upon these people that rejected Christ. Later on in the life, John would be converted in preaching on the importance of love. So much so that at the end of his life, St. Jerome, whose feast day was a couple of days ago, said that John would be taken as an old man. He would be taken from one town to the next. And he'd always be preaching the gospel of love. Love one another as I have loved you. The disciples asked him, why does he why are you preaching why are you preaching the same thing? And John responded by saying, Because If we do that, we will have accomplished the gospel. That's what the Lord wanted us to preach and live. So the commentary upon this passage, I'd like to follow up on it, is the following. Like James and John and the other apostles, None of us are perfect. 
quite the contrary. We're all sinners. We all struggle with our own limitations. So, what is our predominant defect? I'd like to start off by a story that I, I've given over the years in the spiritual exercises. Maybe you've heard of the story before, but it's a very good story that we can apply to ourselves on how we're called to examine our lives to see what is our predominant, what is our predominant defect? What is it? And here's the story. There's a father and he's walking through the woods with his 10-year-old son. And as they're walking, the father stops and looks at his son and says, Son, you know, I, I feel that there is a wolf within me. An angry, ravenous, vicious, malicious, bloodthirsty wolf that is lurking within me. So they're walking about another ten minutes. And the sun is reflecting upon the wolf that's within the inner recesses of his father. So after another 15 minutes, the father stops and looks at the sun and says, Son, you know, not only do I have a wolf within me, but I have a gentle lamb within me. A gentle, loving, humble, friendly, affable, kind lamb within me. So they start walking again. And after they're walking through the woods another 15 minutes, the sun cannot put up with this anymore. He's held in suspense. And the sun stops and asks his father, oh, Dad, which of those two, the wolf or the lamb, is going to win within you? And the father rivets his eyes in the eyes of his son and says, Son, whichever one I feed most. Whichever one I feed most. If I feed the wolf, the wolf will dominate. If I feed the lamb, the lamb will dominate. This story is my story as well. It's your story. It's your story as well as my story. And in the spiritual exercises, I introduce... The spiritual exercises week on the capital sins related to the story of the man, the wolf, and the lamb, and the son. So I'd like to go through that, and I think all of us now and then we're, we're challenged to look within the inner recesses of our hearts 
and beg for the grace to recognize what is our predominant, what is our predominant defect? And the spiritual writers insist upon the importance of self-knowledge. Socrates says, a life that is not examined is a life that's not worth living. The desert fathers have a have a two-word axiom. It's a command. Know thyself. A famous historian has put it this way. He who does not know history is condemned to repeat the same historical errors. And even now, we're entering into the end of the baseball season, the playoffs. Any good professional pitcher in baseball will always try to look for what is the predominant weakness of the opposing batter. And this can be applied to any sport. It can be applied to karate, baseball, soccer, football, even in debating, trying to find what is a major weakness or defect. of the opponent then shoot for the kill so what I'd like to do is um, now and then it's a, it's a good idea to go back and review some of the spiritual concepts that perhaps we've learned in the past Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen says our sanctification does not always depend upon learning new things, but going deeper into the things we've already learned, revisiting them. For that reason, St. Ignatius says we should do repetitions at times. So let's uh, have enough courage today to beg for self-knowledge to revisit those capital sins. And what I'd like to do is uh, present the capital sin in the opposing virtue. And as Beverly points out, there's likely a pattern in one's confessions, well said, these, uh, these sins, they're patterns. They're, they're bad habits. Might, we might even call them vices. What I like to do is present the capital sin and the opposing virtue that we should try to practice. Capital sin, the opposing virtue that we're, we're challenged to practice. So these are called the capital sins. <laughs> and as a result, 
of original sin, all of us are infected by these capital sins. We're all infected by these capital sins. So let's mention them. Excuse me. These are the traditional seven capital sins. I like to divide them into the those that are corporal as well as those that are spiritual. These are the capital sins. Gluttony, lust, avarice or greed, sloth or laziness, Those are the capital sins that refer more to our our bodily nature. Then there is envy, anger, and pride. So let's just go through those capital sins and let's uh, let's look at the opposing virtues. So, gluttony, lust, avarice or greed, sloth, laziness, envy, anger. And what is the root cause of all the capital sins? And that would be the capital sin of pride. So let's go through them. Starting with gluttony. Gluttony can be defined Gluttony can be defined as a disordered desire for eating and drinking. A disordered desire for eating and drinking. And here's the big question. Do you... Do you eat to live or live to eat? Do you eat to live or live to eat? The opposing virtue... What I'm trying to do is the, the wolf in the story would be the capital sin, by the way. And the lamb in the story would be the opposing virtue. Following up on the application of this classical story to the capital sins.
So, the capital sin of gluttony, which is the disordered desire to eat and drink, the opposing virtue would be that of temperance. The question, do you eat to live or live to eat? If you live to eat, then you're practicing the opposing virtue of temperance. Temperance can be defined as the moderate use of created things. Let's move on to the next. That of lust. Lust can be uh, uh, defined as a disordered desire for sexual pleasure. A disordered desire for sexual pleasure. The opposing virtue would be that of chastity or purity. And if you like, there's a corresponding beatitude for that, which would be Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the Blessed are the pure of heart. For they will see God. If we want to see God in this life, as well as in the life to come, then we have to have purity of heart. The next capital sin... would be that of avarice. Or, if you like, we can put the word greed, avarice or greed. We could actually define avarice or greed as such. Avarice or greed can be defined as a disordered Desire for material things, philosophically we could call that materialism, materialism. The modern psychologist Eric Fromm has stated it as such. If you are what you are and you lose what you if you are what you have and you lose what you have then who are you? Now the opposite virtue of avarice or greed 
would be that of generosity. Of generosity. St. Paul says there's more joy in giving than receiving. There's more joy in giving than in receiving. And Mother Teresa says we should give until it hurts. Give until it hurts. When I present the capital sin of avarice or greed in the contrast between avarice or greed and generosity, the greatest literary masterpiece that exemplifies these two oppositions, the vice and the virtue, would be by the perhaps the greatest English novelist of the 19th century. His name was Charles Dickens. And Charles Dickens wrote The Christmas Carol. And you see the conversion of the chief protagonist in the Christmas Carol is Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge starts off by being avaricious, focusing on only the money that he could gain at any price, even to the extent of taking advantage of one of his poor workers, Bob Cratchit, But it's only when Ebenezer Scrooge has the vision of death where Marley takes him to the cemetery and points to his own tombstone. Then Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up. He wakes up, opens up the window and sees the boy with the sled and tells him to get the big turkey in the marketplace that he can give to Bob Cratchit and his family for Christmas. So we see Ebenezer Scrooge being transformed, being converted by his encounter with the reality of death. And how many people, how many people have been moved, perhaps through conversion, by the reality of death, of the untimely death of some loved one, or by some physical disaster, or some car crash, some untimely death because of the pandemic. Not always, but whenever we're confronted with death, we should think about our own death. When I do funerals, When I do funerals, I very often think that one day in that coffin is going to be Father Broom. And they tell the people it's going to be you one day. 
So let's live each day as if it were our last because we don't know the day nor the hour that the Lord is going to knock at the door of our heart. As John Donne points out, he says, do not ask for whom the bell tolls, for the bell tolls for you. Jesus says, be vigilant and be prepared. Be vigilant and be prepared. So the opposite, the opposite opposing virtue to avarice would be that of generosity. As Mother Teresa points out, give until it hurts. Greed, generosity. Okay, the next would be that of sloth. Sloth we can define simply as as laziness. I like to point out sloth sometimes using a word from physics. It's a certain moral or spiritual inertia. We don't move when God wants us to move. The classical definition of inertia from physics is an unmovable body needs an external force so that it's put in motion. An unmovable body needs an external force so that it's put in motion. So if you have a stone on the top of a hill, it's not going to move unless there's an external pushing of it. So we have the capital sin of sloth or laziness. What might be the opposing virtue? Well, the opposing virtue would be that of diligence. The work ethic. Not to be afraid to roll up our sleeves and to dig in and to work. I like what Father Alberto Tado said, the Jesuit priest. He said that there are actually two places where we, there are two places where we, we should rest. We should rest in the cemetery and in heaven. The cemetery and in heaven. We know neither the day nor the hour that the Lord is going to be knocking at the door of our hearts. We have to be prepared. So those are the four capital sins. Those are the four capital sins. They refer to our corporeal or our bodily nature. Let's move to the other three. Let's take 
N B. Envy related to jealousy. We might define that as I feel sad because someone has something that I don't have. An envious person rejoices when something bad happens to that person. Feel bad because someone has something I don't have and I rejoice when something bad happens to that person. It's very ugly, isn't it? Very ugly, isn't it? Very ugly. The opposing virtue to envy or jealousy would be two things. Admiration and admiration and thanksgiving. We can admire the gifts that God has given to other people. In a very real sense. In a very real sense, every good gift that's given to another person, that gift is simply bestowed upon that person from God himself. From God himself. So let's thank God for the gifts that other people have and admire the gifts of the others and not be sad and depressed and jealous and envious over them. Living out what the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. Then we have the capital sin of anger. Related to anger very often is that of being impatient with others. Now the opposing virtue to anger would be that of meekness. There's only once that Jesus describes the characteristics of his heart. We can read in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and humble of heart. For you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. See, the opposing virtue to anger is meekness. 
We might even say that meekness is not weakness, but meekness is powerful emotion under control. And we can pray that we obtain this opposing virtue to anger meekness by praying that prayer, Jesus, meek and humble of heart. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. Beautiful prayer. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto yours. Beautiful prayer. We finally arrive, my friends, at the last of all of the capital sins, which is really at the root of all sin. And that's the capital sin of pride. In the capital sin of pride, pride is, you might define, as a disordered love of self. It's a good definition. Pride is a disordered love of self, and the nature of sin is disorder. Really, in all of our sins, our actual sins, there's always hidden some type of pride. Self-love. A disordered love for self. And of course, the opposite virtue opposed to that of pride would be, of course, the virtue of humility. The virtue of humility. God rejects the proud and he lifts up the humble. Our Lady says in her beautiful prayer, the Magnificat, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked upon the lowliness or the humility of his handmaid. Henceforth, All generations will call me blessed. For the Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He's cast down the mighty from their thrones, the proud. He's cast down the mighty from their thrones, the proud. He's lifted up the lowly, the humble. So if you really want to see a contrast between humility and pride, 
we focus upon the life of Christ, but, but also we can pray and meditate upon that beautiful prayer of the Blessed Virgin Mary that you can find in Luke chapter 1. In the name of that prayer of Mary, that we as priests, we pray every night in evening prayer, it's called, it's called the Magnificat. It's called the Magnificat. So my friends, I hope that this conversation has been helpful to us because now and then it's a good idea to go back and review and to examine our, our own lives and to pinpoint to pinpoint my friends even though it's painful when you're pricked by pain, it hurts. But pinpoint our predominant, our predominant weakness. I like even to call this our predominant weakness. I like to call it our our kryptonite, our Achilles heel. What often could be our downfall. So I invite all of you and thank Sophie for being a good secretary today. I invite all of us to to share our conversation with many of your friends. I think many of your friends might be interested in in becoming cognizant of the of the capital sins. These are classics. But I tried to give a positive twist. A positive twist, not simply to enumerate the capital sins, but also the opposing virtue that we're called to put into practice. So I'd like to give you all, my friends, my priestly blessing. And let's pray for each other that we would not allow the wolf to dominate us, but the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.